Welcome back to Deconversion Therapy and your true crime edition because it's just me, Karen. Well, Bonnie is enjoying herself and we have some of our files of episodes. Oh, sorry, my dog Zen is also here, if you just heard him shake. We have our files of some of our episodes that are going to go up, um, sort of locked in our house, but don't you worry about that. You get to hear another true crime this week. Please, if you're enjoying this, give it a five-star and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, if they allow that, and follow us on all the social media. As you know, I'm enjoying taking on some of the true crime cases that have to do with religion because that is my wheelhouse. That's a language that I know. And so anytime I hear of a case that involves either perpetrators or victims who grew up in the church or have those leanings and belief systems, I always want to dive in there and be like, oh, wait, I know what they're going through. I know what's in their mind. So that's why this one, I think, for a lot of us who grew up in the church, this is going to be very interesting. Now, let's get into it. This time, strap up, we're going overseas to Australia. You know, the home of the kangaroo, the home of the wombat, the home of Hillsong. This case comes out of Budgery, which is a small town of less than 200 people in Gippsland in Victoria, Australia. Now, let's go back to 2008. So there was a couple who was dating. They were both very religious. They came from a religious family. I researched and I could not find what kind of church they went to or if they were even Mormons. I did the research, but I can tell you that evangelicalism and fundamentalism and Mormonism do share some basic thought patterns as far as prayer and purity culture and a lot of things like that. So I'm going to take it from that angle. But there was a couple named Julian Buckwald. Let's just say that's what it is. And Carolyn Watson. Julian was 22 and she was 17. And that is not unusual in small towns, much less in Christian communities. They had been dating, I think, two years, and they wanted to go on a lovely picnic together. And Julian's family owned 1,200 acres in this area, so they had plenty of area where they can do a romantic picnic, and he had planned one that was near a waterfall. They packed up their stuff, they drove to the waterfall, but on the drive there, Julian spotted like an animal carcass in the road. And since it was his land, he wanted to figure out what it was, but he'd driven past it. So he pulled to the side and he told Carolyn, I'm going to go check and see what the deal is with that, you know, because what if something's killing animals, whatever, farm people. I don't know, I'm a city person, but he gets out of the car and he has to walk back quite a ways to go look at what was dead in the road. So he went and did that and he was gone out of her sight for probably about 10 minutes and she thought nothing of it, just waiting for him to return when all of a sudden she sees in the rear view mirror 
someone in all black, a balaclava, you know, the black skier's mask, charging toward the car and toward her in the passenger side of the car. The person in the all black pulls open the passenger door and yanks her out and drags her into the road. He duct tapes her mouth, he hog ties her, and from everything I can intuit from the whole story, he probably blindfolds her at this time and throws her into the back seat of the car and drives to a more secluded area. After a while, the car pulled to a stop and she was again dragged out of the car. And this time, the perpetrator cut off her clothes with a knife and threw her on the ground. Then, after a while, she heard the perpetrator digging a hole. In her mind, she thought, that's my grave. I'm listening to someone dig my own grave. And she 100% assumed she was going to be raped and killed and then buried. And I'm sure she prayed for peace or for deliverance from God at this point. Back at Julian's house, his mother, who was also very religious, had grown concerned because they hadn't returned from this picnic. I assume maybe they had told him a certain time, but there was no one in sight. She looked up the driveway, she actually prayed for their safe return, and then she walked out on the porch and into her yard to try and get a better look down the driveway to see if they were returning. That was when she spotted a bottle stuck in their fence, and she pulled the bottle out, and inside was a horrifying note. The note was littered with expletives telling them they better not call the fucking police or their fucking kids are going to be raped and burned alive. And it included a symbol drawn that is the Order of the Nine Angles symbol. And it pretty much looks like a pentagram, but it has a few more points to it. And later on, when the police were researching, they found that it represented the group, the Order of the Nine Angles, that had not been seen in Australia, but was burgeoning over in Europe. And they believed in committing crimes, being very um, vicious against Christianity, and they even believed in sacrifices. So they were seen as equal to Satanists. Again, later, it was found out that Carolyn's family had also received a note that was very similar, and it was days prior to them going on this picnic, warning them to leave the kids alone, don't go searching for them if they go missing, very threatening and alarming. Julian's mother, of course, didn't go by the note, and she fucking did call the police. And it was at this time that they began searching, but they were very worried for these kids, not only if they were kidnapped, but if they were stranded, say their car broke down or something like that happened. They were in the bush. There was no food. There was no water except for the minuscule amount that they had brought with them for the picnic. It gets very hot during the day, and it gets freezing cold during the night. And all the authorities thought, okay, 
this is not a survivable situation because lots of Australians have died in the bush, even ones that were much more prepared than this young in love couple were. Night hit and they didn't see the return of their children. Day two, nothing. Day three, and on and on it went as the parents and the community, although searching, they couldn't find them because the bush just goes in windy circles and they weren't able to locate any of them. But by the sixth day, they received news that a couple had walked out of the bush into an open area at a state park there and was discovered by a farmer. They were relatively okay, except they were severely sunburned. They had lots of scratches on them, but it was revealed that it was both Carolyn and Julian. We can only assume at this time there is a lot of praising and worshiping and thanking God for delivering them. They got to go home to their families, and then authorities came to interview them separately and find out what had happened this whole time, and also how did they survive for six whole days. And this is the harrowing story that Carolyn told them. She told them about pulling to the side and her boyfriend leaving and then getting kidnapped by the masked person. And she also talked about how she heard the grave being dug with a shovel. And it was at that moment that she then heard the perpetrator walk away. You know, she heard the cracking of the branches as the footsteps got less and less, and I'm sure she was thankful. And at that time, she was also trying to get out of her, her arms tied up and her mouth, but it was all too tight and she couldn't do anything. But God does answer prayer because the next thing she heard was a familiar voice calling out to her, and it was her boyfriend, Julian. He was running towards her, and he leaned up against her. He had also had his hands tied. He had also been stripped naked, and all he could do is tell her, I'm here, I'm here, and they tried to get off the things that were tying them up. Julian, he must not have had on the blindfold at this point, and he saw a pile of clothes not far from them, the ones that had been cut off, along with the knife that had been used to cut off their clothes. So he scooched on the ground, went and got the knife, and brought it over and started cutting off their ropes and the ties and all that, while Carolyn was hysterical. She just wanted to run away before the guy got back because they were in a, a ticking time bomb. There was a clock ticking down before that guy got back, and who knows what would happen next. Quickly, they were ready to run, but Julian, thinking quickly, also looked around where they were, spotted a little bit of food, a sleeping bag, and he grabbed those, and they took off into the bush to get as far away from that one person, or maybe there was a group they didn't know, and just ran like crazy for hours and hours. When they had time to stop and breathe for a second, Julian told her what happened. 
He said, when I walked back to the carcass, I realized it was a setup. I bent down to see what had happened to it, and the next thing I knew, I was rushed and hit over the head. I was unconscious for a few hours until I woke up later somewhere else. They again prayed for their deliverance, and naked, they kept running through the bush, getting lost and more confused as time went on. It was really disheartening because after a while, they realized they were exactly back at the camp where the hole was being dug. And, you know, Carolyn panicked. She wanted to get as far away from that guy as she could. Julian, seeing the camp again, said, I'm going to go in one last time. And she hid while he ran in, and he grabbed more food and water that belonged to the person who had kidnapped them. If it wasn't for those stores of food and water and the sleeping bag that they can get into at night, there's no way they would have survived six whole days. Now I want to talk about something we're all familiar with, and that's purity culture. If you didn't grow up in the church, purity culture refers to virginity, shame, saving yourself for marriage, not stepping over the line with even sexual thoughts. It can get intense, especially, you know, by denomination. Now, it existed way before the 90s when it began to get labeled and marketed because, believe it or not, I'm older than that, and we still had the same thing of fear and that if you saved yourself for marriage, God would bless your marriage and you would have a better marriage, a better sex life than the hoes that you saw at your public high school. This was a couple who really believed in doing that, and now they were naked, and they were actually seeing each other for the first time. They were having to sleep in a sleeping bag together. So for Carolyn, this especially was very alarming. You know, they weren't used to this circumstance at all, and the fear that they must have been going through layered with this kind of shame and immodesty must have been very upsetting and triggering for her. The police had no clue as to who the people who did this to them were, so they asked the kids, can you take us back to the area where you were kidnapped, where you were held, etc.?" and they said, sure we can. So they drove them back to the area, and that's where the police found some of the things that were remaining there, including the knife, a shovel, the extra food, some more clothes, etc. And they realized something. All of those items could be traced back to being owned by Julian Buckwald. So the intense interrogation of Julian began... And the police really pressed in on him until Julian broke down and admitted that it was him the whole time. Why in the world would he do this? Why would he put her through this? Now, it was very clear that Carolyn was disturbed. She didn't know any of this was done by Julian at all. She still was thinking that these were perpetrators and that her parents were right. This was some kind of satanic group that hated Christians like her. 
And even now that you know what was happening, you probably, like me, thought, well, shit, her boyfriend is so messed up in the head, he's going to rape his poor girlfriend so he can get away from it. But no, he wasn't even that advanced in his mind. So this is what Julian thought could actually happen. He thought, one, he wanted to see her naked, so that's disgusting what he put her through. But two, he thought he could talk her into having sex. So they'd been together for two years, and they wanted to get married, but she wanted to wait until she was established and had gone to school, but not Julian. He was ready because of what? Yep, that's right. He wanted to go ahead and have sex. But she very much knew that she wasn't going to do that. She was going to save herself until marriage. Julian's plan the whole time was to break her down mentally. So first of all, he told her the only way they're going to keep warm at night was if they had sex. And of course, they're sleeping in the same sleeping bag. But she's like, no, you know, God's going to deliver us. And that's immoral anyway. And once he tried that a few times and she kept rejecting it, plus, I mean, she's horrified. Can you imagine in those circumstances, you're running for your life, you're hiding, you're trying to survive, and then your dude is like, well, let's have sex for the first time ever. Then when that didn't work, he decided he would try saying, I think we're going to be killed anyway. They're going to find us. They're going to kill us. Let's be wed before we die. Let's have one good thing, and that's having our true love before God and heaven and everything. Let's consummate, and we'll be married in the eyes of God before we die. This, again, didn't work on her because, you know, girl is a little preoccupied. She thought they were being hunted, and this guy is trying to poke her. I cannot imagine. Once all this came out into the open, you can guess right that that was the end of the relationship and the woman is probably still going to therapy and traumatized. Julian was looking at seven years in jail for kidnapping, for false report, and in Australia, because this wasn't something that was like a perpetuating crime, they don't put them in jail and hold them there until they're sentencing. So he was still free right before his court trial. And guess what? He disappeared. Now, it takes a certain type of man to do what he just did to his girlfriend. But now he has somehow gotten a hold of an Indian passport and put his picture in it. He went and got hair dye. He dyed his light blonde hair black or dark brown. And then he went and put on fake tanner and pretended he was Indian and he was escaping the country. Now, no one at the Australian airport picked up on this. But of course, when he arrived in India, I'm sure it was two seconds when they look at this blue-eyed guy with, you know, undeveloped smearing fake tan on him and they say one word in Hindi and Marathi and he just has no clue what they're saying, that they quickly detained him. He ended up getting sent back to Australia and then he did his jail time. 
But you know what was even better than that for our dear Julian? It was found out he wasn't even an Australian citizen. He was born in Germany and had been moved over when he was one year old and never took the time to get an Australian passport, which he easily could. So after his jail sentence, they deported him to Germany. There goes that virgin, shipped back to Germany where he didn't know the language, he didn't know anyone, he couldn't get a job, and I don't care. Now, we all rationalized ways around that purity culture and those Bible verses that kept telling us we weren't allowed to have any sexual activity of any kind. But I think this wins the award as being the most disgusting, terrible, heavily pre-planned situation that I've ever heard of. It was found out that Julian had hidden extra food, extra water out there in preparation for his whole little situation there. And they only walked out after six days because he kept getting a no. But, you know, on the seventh day, he rested. 